Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I'm Director of the European Council on Foreign Relations and today's podcast is asking the question about China and Europe. Where is it going? As we speak, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, has landed in London for an unprecedented four-day trip to a European country. And I'm joined by three great experts, uh, two of which have come as part of a very large Chinese delegation from Beijing. And the other is uh, one of my colleagues from ECFR, the François Goodman, the head of our Asia program. So from China, we have Feng Zhongping, who is the head of the European uh, Department of uh, the Chinese Institute for Contemporary International Relations in Beijing. I think one of the, if not the foremost Europe watcher in, in China. And Pan Wei, who is a professor of uh, comparative political science at the prestigious Beida Beijing University in, in China. So, uh, Zhongping, yes. why don't you start by telling us uh, about Xi Jinping's visit. What is he going to do while he's in the UK? Why is he here? And, and why is so much fuss being made about this? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I think you know this is a very unusual for a, a Chinese president to just pay, well, you know, UK for his own uh, trip. You know, normally he goes to Paris, Germany, you know, um, other countries as well. Uh, this is a, it's a very uh, uh, important, uh, it seems to me, uh, a trip. Um, I think you know in China people will consider this is not just a, a, a relations between China and UK. It's also a relations between China and Europe as a whole. So it's a part of uh, China-European relationship. Uh, 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 you know our relations between China and Europe has been uh, 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 dominated. Uh, in the, uh, uh, Rightly, I think, uh, by trade, economic cooperation in the past 30 or more than 30 years, uh, this is a continu- this will continue to be the case. But uh, with the increase of Chinese uh, influence uh, in the region and also uh, 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 in the global stage, uh, I think you know uh, our relations, our cooperations will also inevitably uh, expanded from economic affairs to uh, areas to um, uh, international uh, relationships, in, uh, international corporations, for example, uh, um, uh, global governors, um, you know, how to address uh, issues like uh, uh, climate change, terrorism. So uh, I, I think, you know, uh, uh, that's what I'm thinking about, uh, why, you know, uh, this country, UK, uh, is taking uh, his visit so seriously, uh, we have here a lot of preparation has been done uh, for Xi Jinping's uh, visit, uh, and a lot of report about his visit. I guess this is why, because uh, uh, both sides, not just UK, China, but the whole Europe and China, thinks they need each other uh, in this uh, globalized world. So, Francois, you've been studying the European-China relationship for, for many decades. How unusual do you think this trip is? So a lot of fuss has been made about the fact that he's going to stay in Buckingham Palace, that he's going to go to Chequers, the British Prime Minister's oh. uh, uh, country retreat. Uh, he's going to Manchester. Um, but uh, how do you think this, what does it say about the nature of the British 
uh, Chinese relationship, but also about how China is going to relate to Europe from now on? I think it says more about how China is going to approach uh, Europe. Uh, you were right. For the past 30 years, Chinese leaders went to several countries in reasonably short time. Uh, sometimes two days, sometimes three, four is really quite a lot. I can think up of only one example. It's very recent. Uh, it's precisely President Xi Jinping staying in Belarusia for two days, and we will agree that Belarusia is not half of the UK in economic terms. So there may be a change of method on the part of the Chinese, which is instead of having a lot of surface visits to lots of places, sort of dig in. That could be Mr. Xi Jinping himself saying, "Don't bring me," you know any more uh, five countries trip uh, uh, where we're not where we're not it but the other part is highly ambiguous and highly interesting because in the same breath uh, the uh, Chinese leaders are holding up the UK as a model uh, for the European relation with China whereas they know that the relationship of the UK with Europe is not so easy these days it doesn't go by itself and especially when you have a referendum uh, ahead on the other hand, they are very keen to say that this all takes place in a context of China-EU relations. My gut feeling about this is as much as we may dislike some of the language on the UK government's part, some of the, uh, shall we say, friendly or not so friendly competition among Europeans, uh, David Cameron has done some things right. And the things he has done right uh, is to open up a vista for economic cooperation and uh, to kind of go ahead of EU rules, go ahead of the logjam uh, among the 28 member states. I personally dislike the fact that it's done in a kind of competitive and implicitly in-your-face uh, method to other Europeans, and of course that would not displease uh, the Chinese who, if we are divided, will use these divisions. But on the other hand, uh, we should pay attention to the fact that uh, Cameron with Osborne and a few others are moving forward, and that counts. So, uh, Pan Wei, uh, we've heard from the two others that this is seen as a European trip. But to what extent do you think this is uh, done with one eye on the United States? I mean, Britain uh, has a special relationship with Washington, uh, and the fact that Britain was one of the first countries to sign up to the AIIB, the Asia Infrastructure and Investment Bank, uh, was seen as a big, uh, uh, a big diplomatic coup by Beijing and uh, was much hated by many people in, in Washington. To what extent is part of the attraction of coming to London uh, an attempt to, to split the Atlantic and to, to start... Uh, breaking up some of the uh, strong ideological and political cohesion of the West uh, that we've seen over the last few decades. Yes, uh, for me it is amazing to see this. For me, I've never seen UK as part of Europe. It's part of the uh, transatlantic uh, a broker between the U.S. and, uh, and the Europe. But amazing also is that uh, uh, China's door was opened by Britain in 18, 1840. And now it seems that China and Britain uh, has gone so close, starting from, from the uh, astonishing 
uh, cool led by 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 UK in AIIB, and uh, that astonished America too. I mean, Washington was very unhappy with that. We know, and uh, for China, it's a success. And it's another amazing thing is that the, in the AIIB matter, Europe simply followed the UK. And uh, it seems that UK in that part played a leadership role. So I don't understand a lot of things that I don't understand, but I got a sense that this UK-China, uh, what is that? Honeymoon uh, could be very influential for the years to come. Could be very important uh, for the world politics. It seems that UK now is no longer a world empire, but played as skillfully as before in the world diplomatic affairs, and so that it can really influence the whole diplomatic world. So just to be clear, um, and I'd love to hear what your take on that, Shongping. You're saying that Britain is setting a new model for dealing with China. You shut up about human rights. You, sh you do a fair amount of kowtowing. You open up your markets. You push for China to be given things on favourable terms. And you hope that other countries will follow. Is that, is that what you're basically advocating? No. Actually, what I think is that the relationship... Well, China is falling into trouble right now, uh, somewhat on the verge of depression. Uh, uh, and uh, then uh, I think Europe is in trouble too. And the U.S. probably is not that easy, the life there. And so there is a global crisis of governance everywhere. Uh, but then uh, ideology in terms of a so-called uh, old uh, concept of camps are all falling apart in today's world due to internet, due to capital, due to the generation gap, and so on and so forth. Anyway, there is a global crisis of governance. So in this way, there is an alliance and realliance and a fragmentation of the world, but then at this moment, probably big country relationship. The most interesting thing is that that the UK and China has gone so, to so far. So, Jean-Ping, can I maybe get, push you a bit further on that? Because if, uh, is that a widespread view in Beijing, that the old alliances are dissolving, that we're in a new world? Certainly, if you look at the EU-China relationship, that has taken on uh, a number of different forms over the years. Sometimes it looked like it was something which was going to go through Brussels, and there was a lot of focus on... Uh, relationships between uh, Brussels and, and Beijing. Sometimes it looked like it was mainly going through Berlin. <laughs> There's a very strong trading relationship, but there were joint cabinet meetings of, of, uh, of the German and, and the uh, Chinese cabinets. But more recently, it looks like maybe 
there's a mix of different channels being used. I think in two weeks' time or three weeks' time, there's a meeting of uh, the 16 plus one, which is 16 European countries, some in the European Union, some outside of the European Union. They're all going to go to China for a kind of joint meeting there. Is the future uh, that the you think the old-fashioned blocks are disappearing and China can put itself at the centre of a world and have bilateral relationships with all of the different member states, either individually like the UK or in groupings like the 16 plus one? Okay, let me put it in this way. Uh, I think, you know, the, the recent uh, 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 relationship between, the close relation between the UK and China, um, uh, or China and the uh, European Union as a whole, uh, you know, comes from two forces. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, you know, from China point of view, um, European Union is always uh, an important uh, uh, group, uh, uh, you know, uh, Important block um, in China, we call major power uh, is Chinese foreign policy priority. Neighborhood is another priority. The big powers, major powers, include European Union. So uh, uh, it's it's not surprising, you know, when the Chinese government think Germany, France, UK, and the whole European Union is a very important uh, 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 partner, whatever, economically, globally. Uh, that is, you know, our constant foreign policy. Uh, from uh, UK's point of view, um, why David Cameron, why uh, um, uh, Exchequer, uh, uh, Chancellor of, uh, of the Exchequer, also uh, shows George such George a George. yes, so such a great interest in in, 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 in you know having close relationship with, with with Beijing. I think you know. Uh, uh, um, UK's foreign policy is has been undergoing a very important transition. This is probably as uh, one of the biggest transitions since the uh, Second World War. Why I say that? I published an article uh, two days ago in Global Times in China. So it's one of the this pa party's top newspapers uh, looking at international issues. Um, well, this is the a part of People's Daily, Daily yes. Yeah. Uh, this, the title of this uh, uh, piece of my article is called UK's foreign, uh, foreign policy is undergoing uh, uh, important transition. So exactly you know, what I'm going to say is um, I think you know, uh, economic interest is very important for European countries, including UK. That's, you know, I, I think everybody knows this. But my argument is there is a new complement has been emerging between the UK and China. You mentioned China, Germany, you know, China, uh, France. I think, um, you know, people could say, um, France also mentioned you know, uh, friendly competition or whatever. But I think France has France uh, advantages. Germany has Germany's advantages in, dealing with, in terms of closing relations with China. UK has its also own advantages. For example, you know, if China wants to push its uh, renminbi, yeah. the inter internationalization process, UK is most ideal place for China yeah. to do that. And uh, you know, uh, if China in the past years, you know, industrialization is a very important part of China. Yeah. Germany is <laughs> nobody else. You know, that's why we had a, we saw close cooperation between Germany, China. Relations with France also has, you know, different uh, advantages. Uh, France is uh, um, well, like UK, well, the uh, UN 
five permanent member states, and also uh, nuclear power uh, influentially in many uh, multilateral institutions. So I'm not going to say you know you know our relations with UK is going to be contradict contradict with our relations with other major capitals of the European Union. It's it's just you know it's a place a whole part of this whole European China relations. So Francois, it sounds like um Jinping's arguing that the the different European countries are useful depending on what level of development China's at. So as well, China tried to build its industrial economy, Germany was the key power. Now as China tries to rebalance its economy and move exactly. up market exactly. and to internationalize the R&D. Economy, Britain. You UK a lot of opportunities. <laughs> That's what I might my argument. No compliment. I would say first that the, the Chinese have run circles around the European Union. It's true that they deal with the European Union and they have a lot of staff committed to that. But look, they have signed free trade agreements with Switzerland, I believe, with Iceland. Uh, they have created the partnership with the Central and Eastern European countries. There is talk of creating a similar partnership with Northern European countries, uh, which will also be a kind of sub-regional, you know, one foot in, one foot out the European Union. And I heard of and about I'm Southern European countries. Is that true as well, with the Mediterranean countries? Jean-Pierre? You, you do two more? 16 plus 1 for the east and then a different one for the north and a different one for the south? I haven't heard that yet. Yeah. But I know 16 plus so 1. So, yeah. in a way, and I, I'm going to say this as a joke, uh -huh. uh, it makes plenty of sense to consider the UK in a category of 1 uh, relative oh. to the EU. One foot in, one foot out. Uh, as I said, very positively stimulating the EU to be more realistic in economic terms, and I think that's a big uh, British... Uh, contribution, uh, but on the other hand, uh, with what I term friendly competition, uh, I th I don't think, unlike uh, Feng Zhongping, I don't think the focus of it is really Jianmingbi internationalization. If you look at it, that China is ready to sign, and nearly every country is happy to sign a currency swap, for example. Uh, with, with, with China and there are lots of places where these exchanges are good. I mean, London is a big center of course but it has absolutely no monopoly on this and will not have one if the Chinese can help it because they are very careful not to put their, their, their money in one, in, in one basket uh, I believe more uh, in, in the fact that the UK proclaims itself to be more open on investment uh, and that it's, 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 it's a competitive pressure on the EU I fear, my fear, very clearly, should this trip succeed completely in terms of, you know, several agreements, the Shanghai-Hong Kong Connect thing, uh, Hinkley Point and more, the Northern Highway, stuff like that, at some point it's going to be an argument for the, for, the, for the exponents of Brexit, who all the time have been saying, well, you know, we are connected to global issues, we don't need the issue, we don't need the EU, sorry. And so inadvertently, you know, uh, China would confirm uh, this trend within, uh, shall we say, England uh, rather than the UK. Do you two want to comment on that? Because from, from where I'm sitting, my assumption is that one of the reasons why Britain is attractive for investment and for other things is because we are in the European Union in the single market. But from a Chinese perspective, Jinping, do you mm -hmm. think 
Britain is stronger inside Europe or outside of, of the European Union? I think, you know, uh, absolutely China thinks, you know, uh, as a member of the European Union, UK has uh, added values. Um, uh, you know, we, we like the UK within the European Union, which uh, I agree with you, uh, Francois. This is uh, probably most less uh, protectionism country in the in the 28 countries uh, club. Uh, can I, uh, uh, so you think that? But do you think that um, all of this attention to London would be happening if Britain were not in the European Union, if it was outside of the single market? No, I think you know uh, UK as a member of the you know. What I would say, the European Union country or not, it has its own advantages. But if UK stayed in the European Union, which makes the UK stronger or more attractive for China, that's my argument. And what do you think? Do you think a lot of it has got to do with Britain being in the European Union, or do you think that it would be equally interesting to China if I it think were? UK has never been uh, a real member of the uh, <laughs> EU, and then uh, taking advantage of EU also to. Uh, to have interest in every country in um, the continent. And so uh, uh, you really helped uh, uh, UK. Well, UK hasn't helped very much about EU. <laughs> so staying in EU might be good. And uh, then uh, for some, or maybe half of the British and they don't want to stay there, but I think Scotland and others would like to stay in the EU. Um, that's one stake. But for me, uh, UK has always been unique. On the one hand, it's a very effective country in persuading Europe. On the other hand, it is a very effective country to, or the only country that can, can, can persuade the US. And so, uh, even though UK is no longer a, an empire, a worldwide kind of a, uh, but, uh, big power, but still it has a cultural and uh, financial and uh, even innovative, uh, culturally innovative, technologically innovative place for the whole world. And also a, the origin of the place that has uh, developed a language today is the only international language, English. So people will never forget about England and English. So this is a way that attracts uh, China as a newcomer. Could I come back to uh, uh, Mark, your original question about you know why? UK China become so attractive to each other. I, I mentioned the China's, you know, why China is so pays so important to to Euro UK and Europe as a whole. But from UK's point of view, uh, my reading of uh, David Cameron as uh, 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 Osborne's uh, uh, attitude towards China, George Osborne, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, yeah. Yes, his attitude is. I think they absolutely consider China's development or rise of China is a uh, Opportunity for this country, so that's a, that's a very important. You know, uh, we call view of China, China, Guan. That's you know, idea. You know about the, the You know, I, I think if you look at the uh, 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 people's uh, uh, response to the rising of China in this whole world, 
more or less two caps. Yeah, one cap thinks this is a opportunity. We must grasp it. Some countries may be thinking not that sure, but this country, I think, you know, at least this this yeah, cabinet, the UK government, uh, I think they really consider, okay, a rising China, a development China is uh, is good for this country. That is why uh, you know Osman made the remarks like you know we would like to make. China, uh, UK become the best Western partner for China. A similar, you know, uh, uh, remarks, uh, uh, and also made this government decide to to become the first Western power to uh, apply for the membership of the uh, AIB. You know, uh, you know whether uh, you, other countries like it or not. So this is a very important. Uh, 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 Phenomenon for us, you know, uh, a country considered, you know, uh, uh, traditionally as a Western cap, considered China's development is a, is an opportunity, it's a, it's a positive way. So, François, you've written a lot in the past about the dangers of prisoners' dilemma, with everyone trying to do what Jinping was just describing and become the best <coughs> Western partner for China. Which you, but before you were saying the competition can be quite good in some ways if it means that we open up and we see the opportunities of taking advantage of all of this capital which China needs to put somewhere and you know it'd be good if some of it came into Europe given that we uh, are short of investment in all sorts of different projects. How do you have a set of policies which make competition into a, something which makes Europe stronger but takes away the dangers of a you know what rules do you need to make the competition into something which is positive uh, rather than uh, a kind of dash to the bottom which ends up weakening everybody well the part I buy from the uh, UK argument about investment in China is we need less rules uh, or less stringent or more flexible and we shouldn't disguise from ourselves that some of the complicated rules that we have set up within the EU framework are also made to sort of keep away uh, new contenders. Uh, and the Chinese firms and the Chinese money are new contenders, yet we need them. Second, uh, we need to understand uh, that for European growth, the, the myth that we will solve our economic problems because we'll be investing and capturing the emerging economies of the China market is a myth. It's our growth. Uh, we are the biggest uh, economic bloc in the world uh, before the US in economic size. So the issue is of internal growth uh, is there. Uh, and we cannot be mesmerized forever by the public deficits and the austerity policy that we've had for the past years. So. Here come people who have a clear interest in balancing the relationship, who have a clear interest in learning, who have a clear interest uh, in, 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 in understanding how the European economy works concretely, nuts and bolts. Why? Because it helped them elsewhere as well. Uh, there is no reason why we should refuse the partnership. And I think the UK, you know, I, I regret the fact that in terms of process, it's so competitive and in fact so laden uh, with ideology that uh, other Europeans literally recoil uh, at the kind of language uh, that's being used uh, here. Uh, however, if we are to move forward in terms of economic growth, we have to adopt some of the recipes that the, the tandem, Cameron and Osborne, are adopting for the UK. By the way, it's not sure that they implement their own recipes. They talk about it, but I'm waiting to see what actual tenders, what actual 
markets, uh, including infrastructures, will really be done because they too are subject to EU rules. And Hinkley Point, which is the example we've heard about for a day, is actually an example with a, with, with a French uh, lead firm uh, that's essentially playing the middleman in arranging, you know, the Chinese money, uh, the respect of rules, the guarantee of security for the future. Uh, it's an interesting case. So George Osborne, one of his most famous phrases is the idea that we're all in it together. So Britain, France and China <laughs> are all in this one together. And we'll see over the next few days what actually does come out of this and whether it does set up a new pattern for EU-China relations, what it says for the, about the big picture of the transatlantic relationship and the future of global governance. Thanks a lot for, for a great discussion on this. We have one uh, job left before the end of this podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. Um, so, uh, Zhongping, when you uh, get on your plane back to China, um, what it, what's going to be on your bookshelf? Uh, what, what are you going to read on your way back? Or we could go to Francois first, if you like. Should I do that again? I, 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 I won't have a book. I have something else. Okay. It's going to surprise you. It's that I went yesterday to see the Ai Weiwei show in London. And I must say, I was sceptical because political activism doesn't necessarily mix with art, if you see what I mean. Political activism doesn't necessarily make good art. And I was struck by the symbolic power of some of what uh, this guy has come with, uh, stuck with the uh, uh, s the very size, uh, which, by the way, implies that in some ways he can function or people around him can function in China, since this is basically made in China, after all. Uh, I thought it was hugely... It's the first time that I see, uh, how would I say a truly Chinese modern art, uh, not something that's a take on after Royal Liechtenstein or uh, stuff that comes from the West, but a mixture of cultural tradition, uh, Ming Qing stuff, uh, very austere and so forth, and powerful symbolism. So, where that's is not a book. <laughs> uh, where is the exhibition? The exhibition is at the Royal Academy uh, uh, on the other side of Hyde Park, and you need to queue if you haven't reserved the ticket. Okay. So, Panway, what, what are you reading at the moment? Are there any books yeah, you recommend? I would like to read anything uh, <laughs> about history or a revisit of that part of history after uh, the Great Depression. And uh, then we're, I, I believe that we are in such a time that 40 years of the new classic economic neoliberal ideas have expanded in the world, in the developed countries, as well as uh, underdeveloped countries. And so it seems that it has come to a, a great crisis. But of course, history never repeats. But then I think the way to deal with that Great Depression uh, is inspiring to today. So wh what's the book? Is there one book? I think uh, it's not one book, but there are many, and particularly by Americans in the 1970s. So we'll put some links to some of them yeah. on our website. And, and Zhongping, what are you reading at the moment? What would you like to recommend? You, you know, before I came here, I was reading uh, um, Post-War Europe. That was a uh, duty. Tony Judd. Tony Judd. Tony Judd's book, huge oh, book. Yeah. It's a huge, very impressive mm -hmm. book. At the moment, also I'm interested, in, you know, to read something like, uh, which I haven't said yet. Uh, I'm thinking about, you know, people are familiar in, the, in Europe, in other parts of the world, you know, Chinese uh, uh, productions made in China, you know, 
but I, I, I get the feeling China is should you know contribute more than that to this world. Uh, I'm thinking about the other public international public goods. Uh, I, I you know this is not a book yet about uh, um, uh, um, China's vision for global governance, for example. Mark, you wrote. Uh, what does China think? Uh, I hope this becomes part of what China think. <laughs> it's a book that needs to be written, <laughs> if I understand where. So the book that I've been thinking about, I haven't reread it before this trip, but the one which has been on my mind the last few days with all the press coverage of, of the Xi Jinping trip is a, a book which I think was, came out at least five or six years ago, maybe even longer ago than that, by the American journalist James Mann called The China Fantasy which uh, explains the the stories that Western politicians tell themselves about their dealings with China. And he kind of looks through uh, how particularly Chinese sinologists and the custodians of the relationship have deluded themselves about their relationships from the very uh, beginnings of the the opening under Nixon and and Mao and up till uh, the the present day. So... uh, That brings uh, this discussion to an end. There are links to all of the publications that we have mentioned and the exhibitions as well on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. This was uh, a discussion with Feng Zhongping, Pan Wei, Francois Goodmont, and myself, Mark Leonard. The editor of ECFR's podcast is Katarina Botel-Atinaro, and our researcher is Ulrika Franco. Thanks, and goodbye for now. (laughs) 